This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by BitPay. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. This show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media and production company with over 20 podcasts in their network. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io. They are amazing. With that, today's guest is Will Harburn, the founder and CEO of Ethfinex, now known as Diversify, that was spun off of Bitfinex. He was also a project lead and was a top executive at Bitfinex. He started in 2017 during the craziness hype of the ICO bubble. And we talked of all of that, why they actually named it Ethfinex and now Diversify, what's going on at Bitfinex, how things went, Tether, stablecoin, synthetic assets, DeFi, what's in a name, what's a community, who, what, where, why, when, crazy episode. I'm Charlie Shrem. Talk to you guys just in a moment. I'm here today. Wow. This, I was just telling Will. I'm here today with Will Harburn. Will, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm very happy to be on the show. I was just telling you, I hope I'm not rusty. It's my first show in, in a week or so since I was a little under the weather, but, but I'm excited to get back into it, to talk to you today. Um, you're actually the perfect person to talk to because you've been around the space a long time and really uh, you've been through the ringer a little bit. Um, you know, you, you, you when you started getting involved in, in crypto um, and Bitcoin early on, um, you were a consultant, but then you just jump right into Bitfinex. And we talked and we we uh, we we tried to work together a few times. And um, at the time, Bitfinex was just constantly at the the forefront of and still is of, of all the news and all the media. And then Bitfinex launched Ethfinex, which was a great idea, but I didn't think the name was very good. But now you have Diversify, which is if in your CEO of that, and, and for for lack of a better term. Uh, it, it's a rebranded version of, of Ethfinex. I love the name Diversify. It's like the Diversify should be the best. It's the best name company in the space. I love the name, except for like Coinbase or something or BitInstant. I mean, that was the best name. Uh, a lot of people hate it though, too, just because we, we kind of chose the name that's hardest to spell uh, in, in anywhere in crypto. So, uh, what, Diversify or Ethfinex? Yeah, Diversify. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you, put in, you didn't put a Y in there. You could have made it funky. You could have made it like D E V E R S Y. F Y, you didn't do it's like diversify, so it's it flows, yeah, exactly. It works. That, that was uh, yeah, it works. it works. Why, why rebrand? I mean, you're talking about a world where like Bitfinex is the blue chip. If, if you had to ask someone a poll right now of the top companies that they know, like name the companies you know in Bitcoin or crypto, you're gonna see Coinbase, you're gonna see Bitfinex, you're gonna see um, Ripple, fortunately or unfortunately, depends who you ask, you know, Ethereum. So, those are the terms in a lingo. Um, why rebrand to diversify? Why why change the name and and, and do all that? I mean, I th- there were definitely a few reasons, and yeah, I agree with you. You know, Bitfinex was and and it was the best place to possibly to sort of really dive in deep into um, into yeah. the space. What do they and, say? And, like and the best way to sail. The best way to sail is the uh, a smooth seas never made a calm sailor, as they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We've seen seen the the, the stormiest it can get. Um, but I think that there were a few reasons why kind of, and actually, you know, why we, why we spun out fully and to make, I mean, and the diversifiers, you know, fully independent from Bitfinex, whereas Ethernex wasn't really, I mean, and obviously the name is also different, but there were a few reasons why we rebranded when we did, which is a year ago now. Um, the first reason was because, I mean, even having Ethan, the name is very, uh, limiting, I think. And oh, good right point. now, you know, that's still, still hot. Um, you know, DeFi is all happening on Ethereum and. 
Um, it's still where a lot of the action is, but that's, but we kind of didn't want to limit ourselves to that, especially as an exchange where you know, part of part of how we'll grow will be to add more and more assets and to you know be the place that hopefully adds things first and has the most interesting markets. But also, for better or worse, while Bitfinex is one of the most well-known companies in the space, FNX was less well-known and it was a very confusing kind of relationship of, okay, everyone FNX, knows Bitfinex, that's what it was. Okay. But, but what's what's FNX and what's you know um, the relationship and that sort of thing. So, um, well, let's yeah, talk we'll, about we'll what's in a name. It's interesting. Uh, no one really talks about how how companies got named and how mm. crypto companies got named early on. And this was actually a very funny conversation because early on, remember someone like 2013 or 2014 said, can we just not, can we have, can we have Bitcoin companies without the word bit or coin in it? Right. But uh, Bitfinex is not lucky, but it's uh, got off well because the word bit is not synopsis with Bitcoin, but it's, it's big, it's, it's crypto as a whole, the word bit mm. and, and also mm. the internet bits and bytes. So, so it works. Bitfinex is agnostic, but I could see why FNX would not be agnostic. No one ever thought like, Hey, there may be something else other than Ethereum where people would be trading tokens when you guys were naming the company? Well, I think also nobody knew what the company was going to be back then. This was 2017 and the hottest thing in the world was ICOs and they were all happening on Ethereum. And if FNX was going to be the exchange for lots of these ICO tokens and it, and it was for, and, and, and grew, you know, big during 2018 on, on those markets. Um, but of course, you know, a few years later, you know, things, things have changed a bit and yeah, you're, you're right. It was maybe a short-sighted thing. Um, you know, that said, you know, today Diversify is still, you know, running on Ethereum, although it's on a layer two scaling solution, which kind of gives a little bit of a separation between the, it's, it's almost less important what the underlying blockchain is. Um, yeah. but the assets are all, are all still, you know, mainly still running there apart from like wrapped Bitcoin, for example, via BitGo, um, which is a sort of, uh, workaround, um, so, you know, maybe it wasn't so short-sighted, but it's definitely, you know, longer term, I think it's, it's, it's not good for, especially an exchange platform, which is somewhere where you want to be as agnostic as possible, I think, um, to be so tied to you know, one blockchain. How, how I, I, haven't, I haven't checked up on, on RAP, Bitcoin, and, and the various, um, the various um, coins and tokens that basically wrap other coins and tokens, mm. right? For lack of, I don't know, if there's, is there a term for it? Is there like a, I mean, like, is there a DeFi... It, it, People are using tokenized Bitcoin as the term. Tokenized. Um, and there's a few different ones. I mean, wrap Bitcoin is still the largest by market cap, but it's like the, it's the tether Why? equivalent. It's the centralized solution. It's quick and easy. Um, and people get it that, it, you know, it's simple to say, basically, BitGo is holding your Bitcoin and has issued a wrapper. And it was the first to launch. So, you know, it had that initial traction. Um, and so this year, the last few months, it's just sort of exploded. Um, I think there's now... Yeah, I won't say the numbers because they're probably out of date already, but it, 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 it's sort of massively grown in the last two months. Um, and on the other hand, there's a few, uh, few newer ones which kind of followed but are more decentralized in the way that they, they're achieved um, with REN BTC, I think now being the second largest, where there's actually a kind of a, a trustless mechanism for moving them back and forth between Bitcoin and, and, um, and Ethereum. And uh, sort of hot on the tail of, uh, which is maybe maybe more like the the, the die equivalent in uh, in USD stablecoins. Are do you see differences then versus now on what people are trading and how they trade, two thousand seven till till now? So, 
Definitely. Um, I mean, I'd say the biggest difference was uh, that what people were wanting to trade in you know, 2017 were whichever ICOs had the kind of shiniest marketing and biggest white paper. And it didn't really matter yeah. um, what the token you know, did, to be honest. Um, it, was all, it was all hype-based. And um, definitely now the only things that we see any interest for uh, on Diversify and in any... Um, in, in, in like this sort of micro ecosystem of um, mainly Ethereum based trading is is these kind of DeFi tokens as they're being called, which basically have a working platform where people are borrowing, lending or taking some sort of action and able to do that now. And of course, there's been the rise of um, yield farming in the last few weeks, which has kind of exacerbated that even more. Um, but, but that's the biggest um, sort of change we've seen is that basically if it doesn't have a, if it doesn't have a live platform that's linked with the token or you know protocol then people are less interested in it um, and i think that's probably a good thing it seems like there's like a chase to the yield now with with mm. crypto and we're getting i'm nervous that you have companies like the block and et cetera, et cetera, that offer you know the block voyager these are these are you know well-funded companies that are um that have headquarters and are trusted or licensed that can offer six to six to seven percent a year on, on your Bitcoin holdings, which is very definitely doable. But you have a lot of these other ones that are have shinier websites and put out thirteen to seventeen percent, or even crazier ones. Um, the fear is that, in my fear, is that DeFi will be worse for uh, a lot of retail buyers and sellers than the ICO market was. Do you think I'm wrong? I actually I don't know if I would agree with you or not at this stage Fine, I want you to I'm, disagree. Definitely, I'm definitely worried ab- about it uh, in, like uh, and I share your concern but I don't think it'll be worse than the ICO um, sort of boom in that I think actually the problem right now is that people using DeFi are not the ones who are probably going to get screwed there's quite a small number of people using DeFi right say, now you know I mean right now yes but I, and, and I, I still think that'll probably stay pretty small just because it is technically difficult to use it is risky there's smart you, you have to have some level of understanding and awareness of this space. And even, you know, the, the kind of big, the big DeFi apps like Compound, which people have, are now hearing about maybe outside the space, which do offer big yields and returns much higher than you get on things like BlockFi or, you know, the Bitfinex lending markets. Um, are, are still, you still have to have some familiarity. And I don't think wider markets, but I think the people who are going to lose money on this are actually probably going to be the same kind of people who lost money in the ICO boom, who are not using these products themselves, but they're seeing things like compound token, which are issued, which are then like listed on places where they're used to buying stuff like Coinbase, um, which are, are the way that these platforms are achieving such high yields right now through this yield farming. So, you know, if you're using compound, you earn comp tokens. Um, and most people who are earning those are then going and selling them onto the market to, let's say, people who are circulating on them by at Coinbase. And so there's still the potential for them to, to sort of the same people there to end up losing money just like yep. they did um, in, in that bubble. And, and that's probably where my, um, my main concern is. But I actually think the, the, the protocols themselves, the DeFi protocols, I don't think, are, I mean, I think they are like creating some really interesting new stuff. And I think the people using them are, are going to benefit from that. Um, I agree. It's just, yeah. Who are some of the first people you met in the space? Um, so, actually, the first person in per- the first in person person I ever met um, 
was actually Vitalik, although he definitely won't remember it. Um, <laughs> when I was Everyone still... tells me that. I met Vitalik yeah. in a jacuzzi, but he won't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll deny it to the end of this. End of <laughs> his, the end uh, of his days. <laughs> um, so I was at, um, at Cambridge still studying as an undergraduate, and um, I'd been at trip trading a little bit, um, and Ethereum hadn't yet launched, but they'd done the ICO, and Vitalik had come to get, give a talk to like a very small room um, for the uh, university kind of cryptocurrency society or whatever it was called. Um, and so that was the kind of yeah first time I'd actually seen someone in person and I think it was a very, very small space. And I think um, there, there, was, there was a lot of stuff happening down in London, but there wasn't really much. I mean, this cryptocurrency society at Cambridge basically did, you know, n- nothing really apart from organize this one meeting, which was r- really cool. Um, yeah. The last time good. I was in the UK was in London, 2014, um, at a at a conference, a Bitcoin conference in Cannery, Cannery Wharf. Um, and I was talking to the CSO of chain analysis the other day and on the show. And he was like, I was at that conference and I actually was before I started the company and, uh, I couldn't afford a ticket. So he volunteered to live stream it. And, um, he remember, he remembered being a data guy. And, and I'm going to ask you a similar question because you were, st- you're, you're engineering your math. Uh, he remembers like at that conference saying like, Everyone's all bullish on Bitcoin, but there's no data. There's nothing on the presentations. Mm. This was 2014, and we're about to enter like this two-year bull, you know, bear market or whatever. Um, you studied engineering. You studied math. Do you? Is that what hooked you into this, like data, mathematics, the concept of sound money? What, what was that like hook for you getting into? I mean, you, you studied with some, some professors and some people at Cambridge that are probably Nobel you know, laureates and all these different things. Um, how, what was that hook for you? So it wasn't, um, I, I mean, so I, I kind of was trading Bitcoin just for fun in my bedroom, basically. And it, it didn't, it didn't hook me and it wasn't enough that I was going to go, okay, I want to you know, work full time. Oh, in interesting. Just, really? Um, and, and I read a lot about it, of course, and kind of was speculating on it when I was even back in university, but um, that wasn't enough. It was kind of, at the time, I, I actually wasn't a big, I thought this is cool, but I was very, I was very um, sort of skeptical. And only much later, like probably two or two or three years later, I actually ended up also loving Bitcoin. But it was it was it was it was first Ethereum, and it was the engineering side of things of the fact of actually I can right now build something or could in theory build something when this launches um, that does all these sort of you know, weird programmable money tricks. Um, and that was it was that sort of engineering concept that hooked me in. And then only later in the sort of following years, when I then sort of got more familiar with the actual technology behind how things were working and started to actually develop myself, uh, you know, and, and, and build things on, on Ethereum and other blockchains. So Hyperledger, obviously mm. being a IBM one when I worked there. Um, and then I kind of finally came back to, to Bitcoin. Um, so it was slightly, yeah, I, I'd say it was the engineering side of things that which which um which development communities are larger which which coins or tokens or projects have the largest development communities or most robust? Is it still Bitcoin ethereum? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean outside that yeah was there something about the the engineering like community that brought you in? Is there a difference in how like we run? 
um, how Bitcoin is run and how Ethereum is run versus how like open source projects are run in, in different industries in the medical technology industry, for example. I mean, I, I definitely, my, my experience, and obviously I suppose this was, you know, this is really my only experience in an open source community, um, at least you know, in depth. Yeah, but was, so now we're going to, everything's going to be held to this standard. Yeah, well, um, true, but in that it was, um, it, it was one that absolutely sort of sucked me in. Like I went to hackathons from, you know, back even, you know, back in 2015, 2016, where everyone was obsessed and wanted to talk about it all the time and would just teach yeah. you stuff. And, you know, you didn't even have to ask the questions. You would just get spammed with information and you just absorb it. And that was like, that was addicting. Um, I think, I think, you know, that's, a, that's the same experience yeah. that everyone has as a, as a sort of new developer in, um, in the industry. And I think that's that, what that, always that, happens that's the in the beginning. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. True. True. Yeah. So you jumped from, you were at IBM for a while, um, for a few months uh, as a consultant working with them on their blockchain. Um, I wanted to ask you what you did over there. And then you started to work um, as a projects lead at, at Bifinex in like the height of, of craziness in 2017. Um, what did you do in the beginning at Bifinex? What were your first roles and tasks? What was your first job there? Do you remember? So, I mean, actually when I joined Bitfinex. I mean, and, and, and my first few days were actually at Consensus New York mm. that year. Um, oh, wait, like, maybe I was here that year, 2017. I don't remember. 2017, yeah. So it was like, you know, I, I, I left IBM on Friday, flew out that evening to New York and was straight into the conference. And it was... Did you say, I'm going to go get a job? I needed to get a job. Is that what you, is that why you did that? So, so I already had the, the Bitfinex sort of job um, lined up. So it was just like, they, they basically said, okay, yeah, go spend your first week there. I mean, it was kind of like, um, that's pretty but, smart. It's like throwing you in the ring. Yeah. Um, and you know, within, before the end of the weekend, it's like, okay, I'm obviously never going back to, to a big company. I mean, uh, there's, there's no chance, but my first, um, oh, I, yeah, I mean, I'd originally joined with the idea eventually of, um, like the FNX getting created because, um, I mean, Bitfinex was sort of obviously seeing that things were, were heating up and wanted to have a platform for specifically like Ethereum and ERC20 tokens, which at the time it didn't have any of those um, listed. And, so and it wanted a um, separate, a whole separate exchange separate from Bitfinex. Why? When other exchanges so are not doing that, why? At, at the time, um, it was a very different reason than, than what ended up being the case. But what they were thinking, and I think sort of rightly so, or this, although this changed for various reasons over time, was that um, Bitfinex then was going to really sort of double down in the US in terms of its, um, you know, in terms of getting regulated, hopefully, and, you know, jumping through the white hoops there and becoming a really sort of institutional friendly, advanced trading platform, which was already sort of partly how it was tailored by being, you know, having very advanced features and some of the best kind of um, yeah. software. And that, you know, this kind of stuff would then be a separate thing, which was more for like the, the community. So very community friendly, you know, lots of um, it, it actually had a, it had a discussion platform built in in the original design um, and the ability for people to come and like talk about all these ICO tokens and get excited. So, so more for the crypto community, whereas, you know, they thought that the big trading for Bitcoin and other stuff was going to come from institutions, as everyone has said for the last you know, five years. Uh, that turned out, I think, to be a bit, a bit of a miscalculation. And of course, actually, most of the sort of growth in 2017, 2018 came from retail and came from, um, yeah. you know, all this excitement. So. That's why that that was the original reason, but it didn't didn't turn out to be true. Um, and then actually, the first thing I ended up 
working on once I joined was um, the Ethereum version of Tether, which at the time was only running on Omni. Um, and because I had some experience writing smart contracts and um, like with various uh, like sort of projects on Ethereum, mm. my 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 role was to like get this thing finished and launched um, on Ethereum so that the token could also exist as an ERC twenty token. Um, so it was it was a big thing to sort of be suddenly launched into. I remember that. Yeah. I remember when Tether came out on on ERC twenty. That was a great idea, actually. And everyone ignored it for a few years. Um, well, everyone ignores took, everything for a few took, years, took, I guess. It took a long time for it to sort of, uh, yeah, s- switch over. It's so funny how how these trends and these narratives end up like kind of playing out the same way or like differently. Um, one of the things is stable coins. Uh, you brought up Tether. I still don't really, uh, I'm going to take a step back. I know why stable coins are being used. I have. I have friends who use stable coins, but I, I want to know from your from your opinion and, and from your not your opinion, but from the experience that you have and, and the facts and the data that you have in front of you, what are the narratives of 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 who is are who's using stable coins right now? I mean, because I'll give you an example. I hear that it's it's Asian capital flight, and then I hear that stable coins are 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 quasi you know um, fiat currencies now, where they're their own currencies. People are willing to like hold savings in them, denominated by baskets of currencies and you have like projects like Saga that are creating these like hybrid central bank special drawing right type of stable coins. I mean, it's like a whole industry stable coin. Now I didn't, I guess I, uh, I'm embarrassed because I didn't foresee that this segment of our space grow so quickly and become such an important part of it. I mean, I, I don't think that's, I, I, by the way, my, my experience of it was the same is that even in then in 2017, when I was working on, on that particular um, my thought process was okay. There's thirty million dollars worth of these tethers. Why would anyone like? W- would anyone really want to hold these? W- you know, what's the point? I guess it's nice to be able to move funds between exchanges, but I can't but really see this ever taking off. Um, yeah, and of I course, get paid in stable um, coins. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think a lot of people do now. And you're right. I think. Well, I, I mean, all really, it's the same. I'm, I'm just speculating as well, and that you hear a lot about um, like Asian firms and um, a lot of flow for that way into tether for example and um you know obviously i think i think the use cases in DeFi now are obviously big as well in terms of lending and borrowing but um i i i i, I uh yeah don't, don't think there's like a what's in you the know. you think we'll see more of uh like maker dow you know like stable coins that are backed by other cryptocurrencies or will we move towards the more like fiat backed stable coins or could it be like a hybrid of in between? What are people trading more? What do they like better? I guess with DeFi, they like the, the makers and the compounds and everything. Well, that's the thing is that in theory, everyone prefers DAI, MakerDAO. Um, and I think there was a lot of resistance to sort of accepting some of the fiat backed stable coins, but that kind of changed in the last, maybe about three months ago. And there was this big influx where first one or two platforms started accepting Tether and USDC, and then more and more did because there was just a clear sort of drive from the market that that's what they want the exposure to, despite the fact that, you know, th- these don't have the property, like, you know, they can be frozen, for example, by um, operators if, you know, there's even legal pressure put on by, for example, US government or elsewhere. Um, and... Um, they have other properties, like of course they're reliant on the, the, the bank that's holding those dollars. Um, but yet, the clear drive has been that people 
prefer or, or want to use them even in you know, these decentralized finance systems um, because they're more convenient or because they're more liquid. Um, and at the end of the day, what they're interested in is um, is trading and, and, and making profit. And they, they're not maybe so worried about the, the decentralization side, which um, is sort of surprising and makes you then question, of course, why uh, anyone would use a decentralized protocol as a, you know, for, for, for trading or lending and borrowing over a centralized exchange, if anyway, you're still using these centralized assets. Um, but I think the, the reasons probably being that actually people are less concerned with that centralized failure risk than with the sort of permissioning risk of getting blocked or locked out, which is harder to happen in, uh, in stable coins. Than oh, in interesting a point. Yeah. So you're saying that the, the, the ability or the access, uh, for anyone to come in and to participate in this like economy where you're not like automatically locked out. Like if you want, if I want to go right now and start like, I mean, if I wanted to go right now and shorting stocks, I don't even know what I would do. I'd have to, I would go to Charles Schwab, I'd create an account. I'd set up a brokerage account, fund the account. Um, and then I would actually get denied because of my, my, my whole history. Um, with DeFi, you don't really have that issue, right? So you have anyone can come in and come out. So it's a see, so that overpowers the need for or the want for decentralization in in that aspect of it. It's a very good. It's a very interesting uh, point. I, I think I think that's exactly it. Is that what's driven it and what's driving it now and what makes it so convenient is that if I yeah if if I want to short Link token, I can borrow. I can basically deposit my Ethereum and instantly borrow Link and sell it on the market and and redeposit the profits to increase my collateral size. And I don't need to ask anyone's permission for that. I don't need to register anywhere. Uh, no one can block me, no matter what my history is. Um, and I think that's been the, the biggest driver. It's that permissionlessness, um, so maybe, not, the, not the decentralization itself, which it's a form one, of decentralization, I suppose. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I, I was going to say, I think maybe that's one of you know the killer apps here is traditionally get like doing what we just said, like all, you know, um, even trading with leverage and, uh, being an accredited investor and all these different things, you know, in the U S and the world economies, um, maybe that's what the killer app is here is that, um, now you create a stable coin that allows someone, or you create an easy way using a cryptocurrency, like a wrapped stock, you know, you have a wrapped version of IBM stock that now people can play with, um, as opposed to actually trading. It's not a derivative, but it's like a, I don't like to use the word wrapped, but it's a uh, it's a, it's a, a security. It's a, it's what a, is it? It's, it's a synthetic asset, which synthetic um, asset. Yeah, just, just like Dai is from MakerDAO, where it's 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 pegged by by a set of mechanisms that give it the price of one dollar, but it's yeah not backed by that. And yeah, absolutely doing that with stocks and shares um, in a permissionless way is, I think, like a, a clear use case where this that that can be superior, particularly for people who you know, may not have access or may not, you know, yeah. make find it easy to do that. Okay. Come on. This is so cool. This is the new BitPay card that I have in my hand. And I'm so excited to be finally having the new one that just came out. Now guys, I've been using the BitPay card since 2016. Yeah. You heard that right. Way before I started untold stories, way before Bit BitPay became a sponsor of mine, I've been using this card and it literally became a way for me to have a bank account uh, for many, many years as, as a lot of people in crypto need banking, need better banking. The BitPay card is chock full of the coolest features. It's got contactless pay, uh, better rates and limits, no fees to convert from Bitcoin right onto the card, added in chip security. I mean, it's sexy. It looks good. Unlike other cards, it's so easy to get. Just download the BitPay app on your phone. 
click the card icon and you can do it right there. If you use the promo code CharlieJune20, your card is free. Remember, CharlieJune20. It's in the show notes. You can get a free card. So literally, just from listening to my show today, and make sure you actually listen, you can get a free card just by entering that code. So download the BitPay app, get the coolest card on the market, the best card on the market. I've been using it for over four years now. I know there are so many cards out there, but the BitPay brand is the oldest and longest running Bitcoin company in the world. I mean, that's who issues this card. This is the card you want to have. Remember, Charlie, June 20, download the BitPay app on iOS or Android to sign up for the new card. You're going to freaking love it. But when you do a synthetic asset and you wrap it, do you, because the asset itself is not uh, attractive for someone. I'll give you an example. Like back in 2016, I tried, stupid, not stupidly, but I was a little bit ahead of the fold and I tried to um, buy a uh, sanitation company in Michigan and then I was going to tokenize it. And then offer people the ability because the company was making good money. It's been mm-hmm. around for like 50 years. And I was basically just going to offer returns and it was going to be a security-ish type token. We ended up canceling the whole thing. But we did a lot of legal work and worked behind it. What we found was that people didn't want that. They didn't want tokens they couldn't really speculate on. They didn't want net asset value. Look at blockchain capital. Look mm-hmm. at their token. You don't hear anything about it. So how do you... Do synthetic assets, but also at the same time make them attractive for speculators and traders who want to come in and and, and support those assets. Unfortunately, I have a, a consulting client who literally hired me for that exact question. So, well, so maybe so, don't give me the answer because yeah, I can give yeah, you a I mean, percentage of it. Exactly. I think I think you've probably got the answer more than I do. Then, but I mean, w- what was the reason you think that people didn't want to trade that particular stock? Yeah. Was it because it wasn't a high enough returns, or it wasn't speculative value? It was more sort of actual dividends payments or? Yeah, that's a good question. Let's use them as a case study. And what I ended up telling them was that basically the way they had built their distribution, they they built their, dis- I don't want to give too much information because I don't want people to figure out who it is. But basically what they did was they created a, uh, a hybrid stablecoin central bank. And it's really freaking cool once you understand it. And um, instead of saying central banks are bad, they said central banks are actually good if they're not run by a specific person. So the lever concept and all these different things. Um, and so they created this whole uh, stable coin that not only puts money into circulation based on the reserve that's sitting in their bank accounts, hmm. but also will take money out of circulation. So uh, it actually was the first yeah. stable coin that I saw that it pulls out. Now, so this is very cool. Now, what's the issue? The issue was because in the beginning, their reserve ratio has to be at like 100%. And then as the market cap of it grows and people feel more comfortable, there's a chart that shows that the the reserve ratio will go down. The chart basically didn't allow the reserve ratio to go down until like this thing hit market cap of like $100 million, which is a lot of work and time. And so in the beginning, there was no one wanted to speculate and Mm -hmm. trade on it. And therefore, you have this like chicken and egg problem. Yeah, and I think there's been a, there's been a few um, yeah stablecoins using that concept of like shares and bonds, which dynamically yeah. basically work like a Federal Reserve to um, sort of buy up and release like more 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 supply and, and demand. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like like any of these things, there are um, there's also like a, a cost to the complexity for people to understand as well, like and, and use, and also um, then adopt. So uh, I mean, ultimately, for better or worse, you know, it's the tether and the wrap Bitcoin so far that have 
that are kind of one in in the in in those in their two markets, and that's mainly because they're so simple and we're there first, rather than because they're you know, technically more interesting or superior, yeah. uh, or or like you know equally that they're not useful to speculate on, but um, just sort of. Uh, what I've learned is if you get the token in the hands of people, now that's not airdropping because with airdropping, people don't think there's a value. But if you can make people work a little bit for something or you create a utility at the outset and you make this token have value, not because you can sell it, but rather you have to work for it. So work with, you know, work mm. with me here. I feel like there's a value to that. And you can almost create uh, a concept of a project around that. But who knows? I mean, I don't know where where these things are going to go. I mean, sorry? Yeah, I mean, th this was, uh, this was by the way, one of the sort of major things of, for, for Espenex uh, back in, in 2017, 2018. So this was when we launched this separate platform for Ethereum tokens, the kind of biggest innovation. And this was sort of my piece of it, of the puzzle. Um, back then was that it had this token called Nectar token, um, which was using this concept of rather than doing an ICO or an airdrop, um, it would be earned through uh, like a, a, a trading mining process, which has now become like a lot more common, especially in the last few months. Um, where, but as far as I know, this was the kind of the first sort of major example of it in crypto. Crypto was that uh, everyone who traded on this platform, Espenex would earn some of these tokens each month, um, which um, yeah, exactly. Would, uh, yeah, um, then they then hopefully give them some value. So it's almost like a um, a form of sort of fee we as reward. well. Yeah, it's a reward for it's using a reward the, the platform that people can say it is worth zero. Or if you just create a market for it and you put it on, you know, a listing service or an exchange or whatever, um, hopefully people buy and sell it because they see a value in the future, and that's kind of what I came up with is that you have to almost like incentivize, but we also can see how that can go wrong. There are a few projects that have these armies, right? Like the Ripple army. And in fact, I spoke, spoke to David Schwartz on this show, who's the CTO of Ripple. And we talked about that. I was like, why does Ripple have a Ripple army? Like what, what is going on here? And I'd like to ask you that question. Like, what do you think happened? Let's not use, let's not name like specific ones, but the, the, the coins are the tokens that have these like negative communities. Um, and you're interfacing with them because these tokens trade on your exchange. Why do you think that is? Why do you think some of these, so why do you think there are some development communities that are just great, wonderful communities? And now we're generalizing stereotyping, but there are some of them that are a little more hostile. And you can agree with me on that. There are those communities. I can absolutely agree with you on that. And I mean, I it's strange that you say this because I literally, I said to someone this morning, if there's one thing that makes me want to short someone's token, it's, it's if, I, if, if someone tells me that there'll be an army of, Mm. Uh, people on, on Twitter who will tell me I'm an idiot for doing it and that there's no way that it could possibly not go up. Um, and and, and there idea. are very sort of uh, toxic um, communities in, in a sense who a very strong sort of um, mimetic belief in a token. Um, and of course, I think, you know, actually Ethereum in some, at some times, in some places, and some people are guilty of this as well. And so are Bitcoiners and so are many other communities. But I think it's definitely, as you say, kind of, more systemic in particular tokens. And, and I think it is driven, in my view, always from like a very particular root yeah. cause, which is that probably there was minimal sort of um, development or sort of organic, uh, like technical excitement going on. 
but a certain sort of grain of excitement grew uh, and it started through memes basically around the token, which sort of generate a certain sort of like almost cult following, which is like can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, um, but then grows and grows to become almost like a hmm. uh, a force that sort of out of the control of um, anyone, but and, and, and no longer linked at all to like the underlying value of a particular yeah. crypto or token. So it, it, it gets bigger than itself in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of the Tron model of basically, for lack of a buying communities, Steam, BitTorrent? Um, it's I mean, been working so far. I, I'd say it was successful, wouldn't you? So far? Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, it's, yeah. it's good and it's bad. Now, I'm not a fan of what happened with Steam. However, I'm biased because I was part of the, the not the founding, obviously not, but I was uh, in the early days of Steam. I was there. I was buying the tokens. I was, I was uh, uh, writing I was the early 21 block. I was one of the first block producers for a long time of Steam. You know, you have the 21 block producers. Hmm. Um, very close to my heart. So how that all went down, I wasn't a big fan with. But just to show you the strength of the community, for those who don't know, when Justin Sun bought uh, Steam, he immediately used the ability, um, and I'm trying to be, you know, as, as, as factual as I can, um, Push to, to go through a hard fork to change some things. A lot of people in the community didn't like that. So to show you the power of the community, the Steam community, the Steam community actually spun off, created a new token called Hive, and that's their community. That's their, It's like a completely CEO-less project. And, and I so don't know I, if this is still the case, but Hive, I think, was was sort of higher valued than Steam, at least for a while. Oh, and, and maybe it, maybe it still is, um, which was also, yeah, I think, one of the biggest kind of, I mean, in, in a way, success stories of, you know, actually, it's the crypto community and the kind of members who are, you know, who, who decide which one has value um, rather than. But this is what I don't see happening in our space. I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the topics that we've theorized on the show today so far and the connections that we've made and the hypothesis and the just the, the thought provoking conversation. You don't see that in crypto media today. You just see like reporting, reporting. This guy got arrested. This token launch. It's just reporting, reporting, mm. reporting. I'm not seeing invest. Do you know in other industries, the guy who sits down and reads Barron's is the one making the decision of his company. So what happens is a lot of this reporting, you know, it's the one who's reading the Investor Business Daily or the Wall Street Journal, or The Economist or whatever it is. And you know what I'm talking about. These are the ones who they're reading and then they're theorizing in their head. Oh, yeah, here's a macro idea. Here's a microeconomic idea. Let me apply that to my company. And that's how the world spins. In our industry, I want to be a little hard today. I'm not seeing enough of that. I'm just seeing almost like paid journalism. I, I, I think the block is one of the best we have, unfortunately, today. And I say unfortunately because not because they're not great, but because one of the, they're one of the only ones. Mm. I actually wasn't planning on bringing this up today. I don't know where it just came into my head. Uh, I wonder why it is. And I, I, I mean, because I think a lot of it's often blamed on the fact that the investors in most of those platforms, Cointelegraph, Coindesk, et cetera, are usually quite a small group of people who have very specific interests. Um, and therefore, adding, and their interests may not be in promoting yeah. particular new innovations or, whatever, or research or whatever, but maybe more focused on, you know, updates on certain tokens or promoting them. Um, but I think that's probably a bit too much of a sort of scapegoat answer. And I think it's 
you know, probably not necessarily the case. Yeah, um, I see I, your point. I actually think it's that most of the innovation and new things happening in the space just aren't very newsworthy to start with. Um, they're, they're happening at a very technical level, and the people who are interested in them are sort of still the the nerds and the people kind of working them and who understand them. And if you tried to sort of you tried to make people read that at a larger scale, the kind of scale really that, that, that read CoinDesk and CoinDesk, they don't get it, and it's not very interesting yet. It will be in a few years' time. And um, oh, I see your point. I like your point. It's like it's like talking about a vaccine when it hasn't even entered like phase one trials. Well, that's a bad example because today's world, but traditionally, like yes, in a normal scenario, when you have, yeah. normal people are not. The BBC is not writing about that because it's not at that level yet. Is what is what? It's a good point, and I think where are we in that cycle now? I thought we went through like a two three year development cycle of building cool shit, but but the the cooler the things are, the better the the technology is. The longer it takes to build, though, you look at the Lightning Network and things like that. Like, I want to issue, um, I want to issue a um, token on Bitcoin, and I could do that, but it's still still a little bit difficult to do that mm. because maybe that's not being prioritized. W would you be using Liquid or something else? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I had an idea the other day. I I'm a big believer in in tying synthetic assets to real assets. And so um, today I'm actually going to make an offer on the property. It's it's six rental houses. They're all rented here in Florida. I'm going to make a I'm going to make an offer on it. And if I get it, it would be really cool to actually like tokenize the whole thing on on my own. I would like tokenize it. I want to sell it. I would like put it on my own internal decks mm -hmm. and let people buy and sell it just as a proof of concept for me, not for anyone else. Now, this property is bringing out 13% returns. Obviously, the security, I'd have to get all my lawyers involved, yada, yada, yada. But the point is that I want to do it as like a proof of concept. But I want to do it on Bitcoin because the concept that I want to prove is that I want to put this on the strongest, most secure, censorship-resistant, decentralized-first protocol because the proof of concept is if you are doing this in a, in a location that doesn't allow for access for most people... Uh, now that you're on a blockchain that can't be reversed, you mm -hmm. really, it's proving that concept. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but it's just, it was yeah, just I mean, an idea um, that I thought of this morning. I think, I think the, uh, the lawyers as always will be the, the deciding factor, I suppose. It would cost more the... money in legal fees than it would be to actually do it unless you're doing it for, I met a guy who owns like a hundred million dollars of property in Miami and he's like tokenized the whole thing. And I, I'm just... I don't want to do anything that requires a license. I would never even, I don't want to become like a barber even to cut hair just because you need a license for that. I don't want to deal, yeah. deal with that yeah. anymore. But I still like to talk and 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 come up with cool ideas and to build cool shit. Um, one of my friends is actually one of the first founders of Ethereum and he still hasn't got a job since then because he's like, I'm not going to do anything unless I build something as cool or cooler than Ethereum. So he's just mm. living off of his Ethereum gains right now. It's a tough bar to set. Yeah, for sure. It's a tough bar to set. It's true. It's true. So let's let's talk about more about Diversify now. Um, what are you working on that is exciting you most? Can you talk about some cool things that you're going to put out? What sets you apart um, from 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 other exchanges? Yeah, so Diversify um, is a self-custody exchange. And it's for serious traders. So it's kind of in a way supposed to be, and we hope it will be 
the first uh, major platform where a large number of traders would be would be able to use it for trading from their ledger wallets, for example, or a hardware wallet or you know software wallet that they control um, the keys for, but still get basically the same look and feel as they get on a centralized exchange. Um, so you're placing orders and able to you know place you know multiple in a in a few seconds and um, get a very quick uh, sort of feedback and response on those. But knowing that ultimately um, we have no control as sort of the operators of Diversify over your funds. Um, that that's the big sort of unique uh, proposition. Uh, it's pretty different, I think, than like a lot of the um, sort of fully decentralized exchanges on chain where, yes, you uh, also get self-custody, but it's sort of very slow to make a trade, very expensive. You pay and wait for block confirmations. Oh, very interesting. Um, whereas here, because we're using this uh, off-chain proof system, you're still signing every single order that you're placing using uh, a private key. But at the end of, let's say, an hour, we batch together every signed transaction, generate a proof, and submit it to um, the blockchain, which then basically verifies this uh, zero-knowledge proof and confirms that it was valid and updates the state on chain. So um, it's almost like a sort of um, separate mini sidechain happening within um, blockchain. And uh, that allows us to then like make it look and feel like a centralized exchange, despite the fact you control funds. Oh, this is so cool. So essentially, I'm starting to do this more often. I'm trying to like re-explain so I understand correctly with these highly technical things. Essentially, what you're talking about is you create this internal side chain uh, per trade, or is it always open? So it's always open. Um, and, and that's how you... Yeah, you essentially like as a as a customer, you make one on-chain transaction at the start, which is like a deposit transaction, and after that, all your sort of trades happen uh, in uh, and get confirmed as part of this off-chain proof system, and only get verified like kind of every once an hour on-chain. That's actually very brilliant, and it's very cool. What are the cons? What are where are the centralized points in this, and why so, aren't other exchanges or other uh, uh, blockchains using it to connect to connect to themselves? And how is it different than atomic swaps? So there's basically two major. Well, I'll start, I'll start with the um, the atomic swap question, and then and then talk about the two major sort of issues with it. Um, so compared to like so actually the the old version of diversify like what we started with what we had a year ago even because this platform that we just launched is is, is state of the art it's, it's six months it's six weeks old now on sort of a, a live mainnet version this is um, news that should be made public by the way not yeah like... yeah i mean well I, like this is why a lot of a lot of people i started to talk about it now just because it's 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 uh like new and the first time this has been done um but yeah, until then, beforehand, we were doing something that was just pure atomic swaps. So every single trade um, had to go directly onto the blockchain and uh, as a separate transaction. And that had to wait for like a certain number of block confirmations. And, you know, there had to be um, transaction fee paid for that. So it was pretty expensive. These were very high, very slow. It was not, you know, it, was, it wasn't anything amazing, but it was like a nice proof of concept. You could still do the trades from your own wallet. This, the, the difference in this one um, is that although, you still, for example, sign permission in the same way as an atomic swap. So you say, I'm willing to do a trade at this price for this amount and it's valid for this long. And you have to find a matching sort of opposite trade for that atomic swap to kind of then occur between you you and the other sort of counterparty. Um, that those don't 
directly go on chain separately. They all go into a single batch. Um, and this is using zero knowledge cryptography, which is the re the kind of genius um, sort of big breakthrough in terms of cryptography, which allows you to batch together actually tens of thousands of trades into one single some quite small piece of data. In terms of uh, you know bytes, it's it's much smaller than it would be to put all of those transactions separately on, on onto the blockchain, which makes it then much cheaper to eventually and faster um, yeah cheaper and faster to, to do all of those that's so cool it's it's stuff like this and it's the ability to to make these connections and these decentralized uh hops right from blockchain to blockchain so are we now going do you think we'll go towards um and i hate to paint pictures of black and white uh it seems like what you're building and what you're spending time and money on and what a lot of people are building is now hey it's cool to start your own blockchain. Uh, there's different projects, there's different concepts and ideas, there's different communities that speak different languages and that want different things. Let's focus on connecting all those things, but in a decentralized way. Is that a huge focus? Is that a sector and industry that you're seeing a lot of uh, investment in? Um, definitely. And, and actually, that's one of the sort of current cons with our approach, I'd say, which is that... Um, by kind of doing this and by having this separate proof system, we're a little bit like sort of less linked in with other sort of other applications that are mm. happening, for example, because um, only transactions that are part of this system can interact with each other. You can't have, uh, you can't directly send funds from one person who's got funds here to someone who's got funds directly on chain. Um, and so the kind of composability, which is actually one of the big drivers, I think, as well of sort of DeFi today, which is that all these protocols can interact together is missing. Um, and equally, uh, it's harder to do it cross-chain. But the nice sort of next step, which is actually what we're working on as well, is that in interoperability and the ability to directly communicate between these um, sort of faster off-chain systems um, in a sort of trustless way. And uh, the way that we can achieve that is also through this like a, a linked piece of cryptography, which is the idea of a conditional proof. So you can make uh, part of the proof that we do for these off-chain transactions conditional on a transaction that occurs on the blockchain. And it doesn't have to be Ethereum. This could also be Bitcoin. So for example, um, if someone wants to withdraw Bitcoin from this exchange, they would sign a transaction that says, um, I will transfer to, like, let's say someone will transfer to me their Bitcoin that's held uh, in Diversify on the condition that they receive Bitcoin on chain to their to, to an address that they specify. And so um, this off-chain proof will only sort of get verified and be valid if it's if there's also if it sees that basically within the the block headers on Bitcoin there was a transaction for to that to that person and otherwise it won't work. So it's then a basically a, a form of swap between these off-chain funds and on-chain funds. And you can start to build some sort of really interesting systems using that sort of extra piece of the puzzle. Um, and, and obviously a lot of other yeah, projects working on similar sorts of concepts, um, which then start to kind of bring this all together. Yeah. And it goes down like a, like a spiral. Um, so you were, I mean, you were part of the team lead at Bitfinex as well. And so this kind of a question applies to both. Do you guys look at, uh, do you, I love how I can I come up with these questions based on your your responses of of my other questions. Uh, if you look, I, I 
I used to do a lot of research, but it's a lot smaller. Actually, this is my lunch menu. It's not <laughs> even the, no, I'm just joking. Do you, uh, when you're looking at, at uh, do you guys study the demographics or do you look at who is actually opening up accounts? Who is trading? Now, Don't I don't want like specifics. I'm more looking for like a trend. Do you, did you study that back then? And do you look at it now? Who are the people uh, buying and selling, trading crypto, like are, are retail traders? Is smart? Do you see more? Do you think it's like more educated? Is it coming from different places? I guess I'm trying to look for like a, a change, or I'm trying to look for like who will fuel the next bull run in in crypto. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, there's one particular sort of new segment which is also who's using diversify, and I think is increasingly using. Uh, a lot of newer sort of high risk, potentially lending protocols and borrowing protocols, which is a very sophisticated subset of very well-educated, technically minded people who, who um, are, I think, all making quite a lot of money and are taking advantage of these opportunities that are quite technically difficult to take advantage of. Um, it's not as easy as just opening an account on uh, Binance and starting to trade. Uh, you you need to basically understand how these protocols are working at a technical level and arbitrage between them. And so, for example, the biggest activity we see on Diversify right now is people depositing mainly USDT hmm. um, and using it to buy wrapped Bitcoin or DAI or Ethereum and then withdrawing them pretty soon and putting them into various borrowing and lending protocols to earn a yield, but doing it in very sophisticated ways. They're not just you know making a single deposit there kind of positing into one thing and withdrawing and then maybe putting it back to diversify and oh, interesting. Um, doing a lot of kind of round trips to multiply their money. And it's basically taking advantage of a lot of the kind of slightly inefficient and weird um, sort of incentives that are being given. Um, and I think this is quite a new trend, but probably something that's because it's bringing in people who are very, um, let's say, technically capable and yeah. driven. It's, gonna, it's not going to disappear for a while so hopefully those people can can drive the next the next bull run and we can have a bitcoin price of a hundred thousand dollars and ethereum at a thousand and ripple at a dollar and all these other things i would love it you think ripple's gonna go up as well in the next bull run okay so i this show is the show has taught me a lot the show has taught me that a lot of times i'm wrong that's what the show is taught. Okay, but I'm not wrong because my my reasons or ideas or hypothesis are wrong or my train of thought is wrong. It's just because there are other outside external factors. So there is a huge power in marketing machine and marketing dollars. And I think that uh, Ripple has created um, its its uh, a standing in the industry um, for what it is like. When I sat with David, I said, this is what I see XRP as. This is what I see Ripple as mm. in a very educated way. Um, but the, what I, my response to him, and I don't want to tease it because I haven't released a show yet, was that um, my, my, my definition of what I believe XRP is and what I see it is very controversial to a lot of people on Twitter. I would have the XRP army go after me. But when I sat with David and we went through it, we basically came to the same agreements and the same conclusion about what it is and what mm. it meant to be and what it what he wanted to be and what it should be down the road. And I have to say, my complete understanding of it went away. I'm excited to release the episode. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm excited yes. to to hopefully um, not change people's minds, but 
basically, I want people, the point of this show is for people to not believe narratives. I want people to not be sheep and I want people to just think on their own. I want them to come up with their own. It's okay to come up with your own answers to things and be wrong about it. You don't need to listen to people all the time. Come up with it. If it doesn't feel right, then it's not right. And that's kind of like why I wanted to do this show to create a counter narrative because I didn't see, I didn't see a good mechanism for that. I didn't see a good a person or place that's not afraid to, to, to stand up to the people that have been involved in the industry a long time that are going to create their own, or their own narratives. So I wanted to be a little bit of that backstop, like, ho, 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 like I was there. That's not really what happened. And you could say whatever you want, but this is what I'm going to say. And that's here I am today. So I think that's very interesting. And by the way, I'm, 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 I will watch that episode now because, um, I would like to find out, uh, what, what he says about Whipper, how he sees it, but, um, I, I, I wonder if actually the problem is potentially not that too many people in this space are sheep, but actually that it may be partly the opposite. I mean, I, I don't know You're about you, smart. but I, I, I meant the I, world I, in I, general. Yeah. But, oh yeah, true. But, but I would guess that you and me and quite a few other people who, uh, kind of quite deep in the industry are probably more commonly contrarian to yeah. other people just for the sake of kind of, you know, questioning and, 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 and disagreeing, but, um, can yeah, we end yeah. with that? I want to ask you about that. Why Why is that the case? Why is that that as you're in the space longer, you become almost like a contrarian indicator? It's like I tell people, when I buy a Bitcoin, that's when you should be selling. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is. I think well, it's let's probably, leave that for the, probably, yeah, yeah, for the viewer. For yeah. the listeners. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, how did I do for the first one in like two weeks? I mean, it was it was a very interesting route that we took. Um, yeah. I, I, enjoy, I did enjoy it. I, I, yeah. Um, awesome. so I, I think it was good. Yeah. Very cool. Thank talk. you so much for coming. Yeah. Very good to, to finally, um, talk with you properly. 